I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. Well, thanks, Ken, and tell me, what's on your mind today? Well, I'd like to talk some more about negotiating. Anything in particular? Perhaps explain the best way to handle yourself during a negotiation. Well, that's a pretty open-ended question. I'm not quite sure where you want me to start. But let me say that in any negotiation, you've effectively got two basic approaches or styles that you can use. The first is collaborative and the other one is combative. Now, I would always advocate using the collaborative style. If you need to show some strength, you can always do that later. But if you start off in an aggressive style, it's very hard to then drop back to a collaborative one. So you want to assume that everyone is entering a negotiation wishing to find a, an amicable solution. And so collaborative is the best way to go. And just a couple of under, further fundamental tips. We, in earlier discussions, we talked about the three key ingredients of every negotiation, and that is power, information, and time. Now, power and time are important and they're related, but information is probably the most neglected in that most people don't uncover enough information going into a negotiation, or if they do, they then feel that that's all they have to do. And so what I'm always doing during a negotiation is probing in a friendly way and asking questions. And you you just continue to ask questions, but you need to listen to the answers because sometimes it's as much the way they respond as to the words that they use in that response. And I think open-ended questions are, are probably the best way to go. I mean, for example, if you put forward a proposal and it's clearly not got the response that you're anticipating, you could come up with something like, you seem a little upset with my proposal, which part seems to be causing you the greatest concern. Now, that leaves it open to them. It may be more than one, but if rather than try and guess what the problem is, if you ask them to explain the issues that are of concern to you, to them, and it may well be that they are things that you're able to trade for concessions on their part, they may not be very important to you at all. But if they're obviously causing them concern and angst and frustrating the negotiation, you want to know about them. So, again, it's not an aggressive approach. It's just simply opening the door for them to come back to you and give you some genuine feedback. And if they can see that you are open to receive that sort of feedback and taking it on board, well, then they will be more transparent in their approach to you as the negotiation progresses. It makes sense for you to be asking the questions because presumably that means you're able to retain control. And 
you've just covered the use of open-ended questions. What other ways could you also pose a question? Well, sometimes you need to obtain some specific information or refocus the negotiation or gain some sort of commitment from the other party. So an open-ended question won't do that. And so the questions in that case need to be a bit more direct. For example, you might say to them if, if the conversation is drifting with the agents you're dealing with, say something like, am I able to have a look at the property this afternoon or would first thing tomorrow morning suit better? Or something like, how quickly do the vendors need to settle on this property? Now, I mean, it may well be that they say, well, there's no hurry. They could allow six-month settlement. Well, that may well suit you perfectly. But if you hadn't asked the question and focused their thinking on it, you then wouldn't have that sort of information. And so... As I said, it, yes, you need to do your homework before the negotiation starts on the parties, the property, everything that surrounds it so that you're not, everything's at your fingertips. You're not having to delve into files to, to find out things. But armed with that information, you still need to continue to build up your knowledge base all the way through the negotiation, listening for clues, listening for leads that you can run with to meet a specific need that they have that you may not have even anticipated, but you can accommodate it without doing any harm to your position if that's what it's going to take to get the deal across the line. As can often be the case, what if there are still a few hidden issues that seem to be preventing you from concluding a deal? Well, sometimes you do get the feeling that there's things in the background that are not being divulged or they're keeping close to their chest. And this, if you're dealing direct with the vendor, that's more likely. The agent is wanting to put a deal together, so he or she is probably going to be a little bit more forthcoming. But nonetheless, quite often I get to a stage where I just, pull out my pad, a blank sheet of paper, and I say to them, look, why don't we just make a list of some of the things that are standing in the way of progressing things to the next stage? Now, you'll notice that the choice of words is clearly non-threatening. You're not actually asking them to conclude a deal. You're just asking them some of the issues that need to be resolved. You're not saying they're objections or problems. They're just issues that might be standing there in the way. Now, what you find is that in the process of voicing their perceived concerns, the other party often realises how minor some of these issues are. And as such, they may not even make it onto the list. Now, assuming you do get things on the list, everything is now out in the open. And you then know exactly what you have to deal with. What are the, the things that need to be addressed, the, the, the issues that need to be resolved so that you can move to 
reaching a deal. Now, the other party is going to be reluctant to bring up any last-minute issues if, having made the list, you've asked them, is that your, the complete list of all the issues? So once you've ruled that off, that list, psychologically they're going to find it hard to, to add to it because they've already told you that is the list. So the important thing is psychologically and the secret here is to get them to tell you what the problems are, note them down, and then you are in a position to resolve those issues as best you can. And there may be some you can't fully resolve, but at least if you make an effort to try and address them, they can't complain that you haven't been cooperative in the process. Now, it's what happens next that's important. Whether you are a buyer or a seller, what you do is you take your ruled-off list and you start trading items on that list for things that you can trade that you concessions you're happy to make so that you can move towards a final agreement. But the secret is to tackle all of their concerns together as an entire package, not item by item. And you'll recall in earlier podcasts we talked about negotiating and, and putting together a purchase proposal that I said that there are four or five components that are form part of the purchase proposal. And that's deliberate because as soon as you negotiate one item at a time, someone has to win and someone has to lose. But if you have them all at the same time, all these plates spinning in the air, you might concede one and, and, and give the term in return for another or marginally conceded it. And we talked about things like the, the settlement period, the amount of the initial deposit, the length of the due diligence period, and the price, you know. So, I mean, there's a lot of things on the, on the table. And, and yes, most vendors focus on the price, but you're trying to, to blur that a bit so that they, they suddenly realise, well, to get the price I want, I've got to make all these other concessions. Well, I don't want to make those concessions, therefore maybe I've got to reduce the price. But it's a trading situation. It's, as I said, not item by item, but you discuss the whole basket of issues together and, you know, float balloons or, or fly kites, whatever the terminology is, and say, well, if I were able to do this, could you possibly do such and such? So given that you make a concession or you suggest you might make a concession, you get a commitment from them before you actually make it. So you're not saying, I'll do this if you'll do that. You're, you're saying, if I could do that. So they don't have it yet. So in other words, again, psychologically, they feel they've got to make their concession because you're dangling it out there, your concession, but it's not on the table yet until they make their move. So it's a back and forth exercise. And as I said, it's you find the issues through questioning and then again you keep questioning by proposing possible trades 
to help resolve the various issues. <laughs> and what if they try the same technique of asking you questions? Well, look, if they've been in the game a while, of course they're going to ask questions. I mean, they're probably seasoned negotiators as well. But if you're in a position where you're faced with a barrage of questions, always give yourself sufficient time to think. I mean, you don't have to answer the entire question. Sometimes just answering part of the question will do. I mean, sometimes I've been in a situation, I say, look, I need to think about that. Can I come back to you tomorrow? Because you might need to research something. You might need to just check some facts. But, I mean, you don't hesitate. You just simply say, look, I'd like to take that on notice, if that's okay. Let's move on to so-and-so, and I'll come back to you tomorrow on that. But, I mean, never also be afraid to answer a question with a question. I mean, you say, well, that's interesting. Why is that so important to you? Again, forcing them to explain why they've taken that stance may well divulge the ridiculous nature of what they're seeking to achieve. In other words, just because someone is not forceful, let's say forthright in something that they are seeking, doesn't mean that you can't question it. You're not rejecting it, you're just asking them to justify their position. And in the process of doing that, invariably, they, I mean, sometimes the way they first, it first comes out is not quite as they anticipated, or it might be slightly stronger than they anticipated. But if they get away with it, so, so, be, so be it. But if you question it, they may well be forced to rephrase it. And in the process of doing that, either widen your scope that you have to negotiate or, in fact, weaken the demand that they're actually making in the first place. So the longer you can keep them talking, the chances are something will will come out. And But more importantly, by you asking that question... It also buys you thinking time as to how you are actually going to respond. So even if they end up saying exactly the same thing again or explaining it, don't add anything to it, at least you have bought another 30 seconds a minute to work out mm, how, are, how am I really going to tackle this one? What, what, what can I trade or can I live with that? And if I can, what am I going to ask back from them in return? So it's... As I said, it's just because they're asking questions doesn't mean you can't turn the tables on them. With all the issues out in the open and now resolved, how do you bring everything to a head? There's going to come a point in the negotiation when you will ask a question, the answer to which will commit the other party. Now, it'll commit them entirely or to parts of the negotiation. In other words, you may question may commit them to a settlement period, it may commit them to a price, it may commit them to the deposit, the initial deposit, the due diligence or whatever. But if the answer to the question will commit them, 
when you ask it, you must make sure that you don't say another word until the, the other party has replied. In other words, don't be offended by this, but you have to shut up. Now, silence can be the most powerful weapon in your tool bag. It can also be excruciatingly painful and embarrassing because both of you know that the answer is going to commit them. They don't want to make it. They're hoping that you will jump in because the silence is awkward and elaborate on what it is you're asking them to do. Don't do it. Yes, it might last for 30 seconds, a minute. I've sat there for, in one negotiation, for the best part of three or four minutes. And it's just a matter of outlasting them. Because if you help out and break the silence, all you're going to get is more conversation. And so the secret is that you need to be prepared to outweigh them. Now, even if you're, while you're waiting for a response, sometimes it's a simple thing, you just instead of just sitting there, open your file and just start to make some notes. It doesn't matter what you write, that's irrelevant. But you treat it as a matter of course. You've asked the question, you're not trying to stare them down, you know the answer will commit them. So after a short pause, just open your file and start writing some notes. Now, yes, it might be awkward, but you want to cause the other party to fill the void. And that means that you're going to get them to to commit to what you you want to have them commit to and move towards a deal. Now, it's unlikely they're going to commit to everything in the first question, but as I said, it may be a, a simple trade that, again, it'll lock down the, the settlement period to something you can live with. And likewise, when it comes to price and the trade that you're doing on that one issue you're trading, you're happy to do to get the price you want. Again, if the, the answer to the question commits them, you have to let them make that move, allow them to make that commitment. Now, having said that, you might find that the other party is smart enough to try and use that same technique on you. Don't be caught up in the silence. Just simply restate your offer. Don't make suggestions. Simply repeat the basis in which you're prepared to proceed. And by using this technique, you're going to force them to respond rather than them try and get you or use silence to, to make the commitment from their perspective. And more often than not, you'll find they will come back with a uh, a suitable concession that both of you can live with. So all I can say is, in all my time as a negotiator, that probably is the one technique that has helped me. And I mean, it's not used flippantly or brutally, but it's something that is used as a reflex action. You know when the point's right. You know you will know when to ask the question. And as I said, once you ask it, you just 
say nothing, absolutely nothing, until they respond and give you the commitment that you're looking for. That sounds very compelling, but at the same time rather nerve-wracking. And yet, I guess it's only a matter of practice. Well, the first time it, it may seem a little scary. So, you know, why not try it out on something fairly minor with one of your friends or a family member and then when you actually pull it off during a real negotiation, I can assure you that it will give you a truly exhilarating feeling. Well, I think our listeners have probably gained more than I had expected from today. So, thanks, Chris. Well, look, as you know, it's always a pleasure. <laughs>